Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Common Room Talk. My name's Tony, and I'm your host. Now, what will most likely be the last episode based on the chapters of the book, maybe, I don't know, we might get another episode out. I don't know. It depends on how far we get through with this one, but this potentially might be the last episode for the book itself. Now, there's still going to be a few episodes that we do where we're going to talk about the book in general versus the movie, but... In regards to the actual chapter, this might be, there might be one more, but this might be the last chapter or the last episode on this chapter, that is. Now, I do want to apologize. Last week, I did 100% plan and intend on doing an episode. However, I ended up having to have surgery on a wisdom tooth that needed to be taken out. It turns out that that tooth had been growing in almost horizontally and actually impacted the molar next to it, causing me an amazing amount of pain at 2.30 in the morning. And it was uh, not fun in the slightest to deal with. And that was on a Wednesday, had that tooth taken out. And I thought by Friday, I would be able to possibly talk. No, I was still barely able to open my mouth. And it was not fun living off of mashed potatoes and yogurt for like seven days. Not a good time. Do not recommend it unless you absolutely have to have it done. But yeah, I'm back. Uh, one less tooth in the mouth, and maybe it'll make me speak better. I, I doubt that very much, but um, here we are. It's another week. Really exciting stuff's happening. I did see that the exhibit in Philadelphia has opened up, and I really, really want to go. I cannot wait. And there are some other rumors that I think is really exciting, potentially about Emma Watson and Daniel Radcliffe maybe making some appearances in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which would be amazing. And I don't want to talk too much about it because there's a very good chance that it's all just rumors and there's going to be zero like actual appearances by them. It might not be real. It could just be fake news. But uh, one of the things that I heard was Daniel Radcliffe potentially coming in as Wolverine in the next Doctor Strange movie. And that would be so amazing to me. I cannot wait. If if that would happen, I, I would lose my mind. It would be so cool. And I don't know. I, I know a lot of people really struggle with some of his other movies thinking that or saying that they just weren't that good and that he didn't really do a good job or, or uh, various other reasons. I personally enjoy them. I think some of his better acting definitely came out after Harry Potter. Um, in my opinion, personally, I think his best acting in Harry Potter was the first movie, and every movie after was just not that. I mean, the second one wasn't terrible, but I think from the third one on, I don't feel like there's a very good portrayal of Harry, and that might not even be his fault. It could just be the way that he was being directed, and not saying that it was bad, because it wasn't bad by any means. Definitely not what I would think would be the way to portray Harry, but again, I'm not a director. I don't get to do that for a living, so I'm not the one who gets to call those kind of shots. But I really enjoyed Horns. I really enjoyed The Lady in Black. I really enjoyed Swiss Army Man. A lot of these movies that, that he has come out with, or not with, but has been in, 
I thought were really good. Uh, I really enjoyed them. And so, yeah, I would love to see him as Wolverine. I think that would be great. His beard that he had going on for the special, and there's another movie that just came out that has him in it where he's sporting that same beard. Looks amazing. I, I'm jealous of that beard, and it's exciting to see him rocking it. And so it would also be a really good way to have himself ready for a Wolverine role. It wouldn't take very much to remove some of that hair and just have himself some hardcore Wolverine Logan sideburns going on there. So I really hope to see that. I think it would be great. I know there's a lot of naysayers out there about it. Um, I I don't care. I think it would be wonderful. And then I can't remember the, the character that I had heard rumored that Emma Watson would come in, but it would be some kind of magical user in like a witch or something that would be in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And that would also be cool. I don't know very many details about that. So there's a lot less to speak to. But I do know that Emma has had an amazing career and she she has went on to do some fabulous things. One of my personal favorites being Beauty and the Beast, uh, just because I also really enjoy Disney movies. And I've been enjoying the Disney remakes, regardless of the reason why they're remaking them. They, they have been wonderful, and I thought that her portrayal of Belle was just spot on. And so, yeah, really cool, exciting stuff coming out. The Philadelphia exhibit, the movie rumors, it's going to be really good. I'm also really excited because this weekend uh, my wife and I are going to the Arnold Fitness Classic, uh, which if you don't know is a huge convention of bodybuilders, weightlifters, um, CrossFit now is a big thing in it. Um, Really just people who are into exercising and being fit and, and having that whole lifestyle, which uh, more recently, Cheyenne and I have been. We've been spending a lot of time together um, at the gym and really just enjoying each other's company, working out, and getting ourselves ready for our cruise, which is coming up in almost exactly two months. And something that's really exciting is that we have set goals for ourselves. And I will share with you my goal, which was um, getting down to 180 pounds was my goal for the cruise. And I'm only eight pounds away from that. And I won't say where I started from, but it, it was a, a lot more than where I am now. And so I'm really, really excited about that. But something that I'm really excited about, which there's a lot of stuff I'm really excited about apparently, but with that Arnold coming on Saturday, I've been doing that for since I was 10 years old, almost every year I've been there. It's a really neat tradition. But after that though, might be going to see the Batman and it has uh, your very own Cedric Diggory, Robert Pattinson as the Batman, and I think that it is going to be phenomenal. I cannot wait, and I will definitely tell you about it. Not about the movie, but how I think Robert Pattinson does as Bruce Wayne and the crate, crepe, the creped crusader. No, <laughs> he's fighting crime with really thin pancakes. The caped crusader. I think it's going to be an amazing movie. It's going to be a great time. And I cannot wait. Saturday is going to be a very busy, very fun day. And it's got, it's got, it's not, I cannot talk today. Apparently that tooth that has been pulled out of my mouth was the only thing holding my words in check, I guess, because I cannot speak very well here recently. Um, And I have completely lost my train of thought now on what I was going to say. So uh, enjoy that lost thought and enjoy the end of this sentence because I'm going to move on to something else now. And that thing that we're moving on to is one of the things that I wanted to talk about a little bit last week, but we just didn't have time. And it is the fact that 
Harry just killed a man. He's an 11-year-old boy, and yes, self-defense. He was saving his own life, stopping Quirrell from getting the stone, ultimately defeating Voldemort for whatever amount of time that he's defeated. He killed a man. Let's talk about it. I don't understand it. He killed a man, and we're going to see some of the the ramifications and the repercussions of of not killing a man, but the actions that happened down in the chamber coming up. Because when we left out, it said that all he knew was lost and fell into blackness down, down, down. And then that's where we ended the episode. But we cannot ignore the fact that Harry just killed a man. It's crazy when you think about it, and it makes me wonder, had this been a real situation and a real-life event, which I'm sure somewhere in the world at some point in time, even probably very recently, not in this capacity of magic and whatnot, um, there have been, unfortunately, children that have had to take someone's life or accidentally. We see tragic stories all the time of maybe a family who has left their gun unattended and uh, a child accidentally kills himself or a younger sibling. And I, again, that's very terrible to bring up. And I don't bring that up in any kind of joking matter whatsoever. What I'm pointing out is that that happens. And when you look at this from a realistic standpoint, which The reason I say look at it from a realistic standpoint is because of one of the things that this book has done in a realistic standpoint for me is changed my life. It has impacted me in very real ways in my life. And so I know that it is obviously a fantasy book. It is not real. However, the ways it has impacted my life are real. The situations that you see in here are still able to be based off of real life situations and the lessons that are learned in here are very real valuable lessons that can be put into your life and can change your life and and can ultimately hopefully for the better make you better for it and so i say all of that with this in mind is how does that go with harry like how how does he handle this situation if he's a real person and he just lived through this you would think Like the amount of trauma that this boy has gone through would affect him negatively somehow. And I'm not trying to go into an area where it needs to be like this needs to be an awareness kind of talk. Uh, I'm not trying to get into like mental awareness or anything like that. Like that's not what this is or or anything. It just it's an aspect to think of. And it makes me wonder if that was if this was maybe written for older teenagers to adults, if that would have been a standpoint that was dealt with or or talked about, because all joking aside, he did kill a man. Like Professor Quirrell died when Harry touched him. And so how does Harry handle that? How do you go to bed the next night thinking about that? I've never been in that situation. I don't know how that would be. I don't, I don't know what it would be like. And, And that's a very heavy very deep conversation to have or to or a topic to think about and i apologize if it's a little deeper than i normally get or a little heavier than i normally get it was just something that i was thinking about and at first it was haha yeah like harry killed a man but when you really start to think about it the implications of that and, and just the effect that that could have 
on Harry, a, a, a an eleven year old boy. It, it is a little crazy to think about. Now, I promise, done with the heavy, deep stuff. But there are a few things that I wanted to share with you that I thought were really cool in regards to the story and maybe some possible changes that had happened. And so in my book that I have, The Harry Potter, A Journey Through a History of Magic, there's an article in here of something that I, I want to share with you because it's really cool as it has to do with Harry and Professor Quirrell in this scene. And even with that, something that I noticed as I this this is two pages. It's an early draft of this chapter and it is the scene where Harry comes in and sees that it's Quirrell standing there. But something that I noticed in this, which made me look back into the original book and and see this that I, I completely missed before, and I've never really thought about it, but Professor Quirrell admits to knowing that Hermione had been the one to knock him over and set Snape's robes on fire. And so I wonder why he never said anything about it. Like he witnessed... Hermione setting a teacher on fire. And I know that we've already had that conversation about how she did that, how she literally set a teacher on fire. But here we have a witness. Professor Quirrell had seen it happen. I wonder why he didn't say or do anything about it. But I had noticed that in this draft, and I thought that was really cool to see. But in this early draft you see a lot of the dialogue is almost exactly the same but harry is given a line in here which is not in this published copy and not in the movies and i think it's really cool uh, because it really speaks to the the relationship that you see build in the way that harry eventually looks up to dumbledore and what he says to Quirrell, you haven't got the stone yet, said Harry, desperately. Dumbledore will be here soon. He will stop you. And I thought that was really cool to see, to uh, to look at and see that even early on in a rough draft version of this chapter, that connection to Dumbledore from Harry was being made. Now, the other thing that I wanted to share was from or is from... Pottermore, and it is about Professor Quirrell, and it is just a little bit about his background and, and the way that he was designed, and it's really neat stuff. It says, Harry's first defense against the dark arts teacher is a clever young wizard who took a grand tour around the world before taking up his teaching post at Hogwarts. When Harry first meets Quirrell, he has adopted a turban for everyday wear. His nerves, expressed most obviously in his stammer, are so pronounced that it is rumored that the turban is stuffed full of garlic to ward off vampires. I saw Quirrell as a gifted but delicate boy who would probably have been teased for his timidity and nerves during his school life. Feeling inadequate and wishing to prove himself, he developed an initially theatrical interest in the dark arts. Like many people who feel themselves to be insignificant, even laughable, Quirrell had a latent desire to make the world sit up and notice him. Quirrell set out deliberately to find whatever remained of the dark wizard, partly out of curiosity, partly out of the unacknowledged desire for importance. At the very least, Quirrell fantasized that he could be the man who tracked Voldemort down. At best, might learn skills from Voldemort that would ensure that he was never laughed at again. 
Though Hagrid was correct in saying that Quirrell had a brilliant mind, the Hogwarts teacher was both naive and arrogant in thinking that he would be able to control an encounter with Voldemort, even in the Dark Wizard's weakened state. When Voldemort realized that the young man had a position at Hogwarts, he took immediate possession of Quirrell, who was incapable of resisting. While Quirrell did not lose his soul, he became completely subjugated by Voldemort, who caused a frightful mutation of Quirrell's body. Now, Voldemort looked out of the back of Quirrell's head and directed his movements, even forcing him to attempt murder. Quirrell tried to put up a feeble resistance on occasion, but Voldemort was far too strong for him. Quirrell is, in effect, turned into a temporary horcrux by Voldemort. More on that later on. He is greatly depleted by the physical strain of fighting the far stronger evil soul inside him. Quirrell's body manifests burns and blisters during his fight with Harry due to the protective power Harry's mother left in his skin when she died for him, which we're getting ready to cover in today's episode. The former flees just in time to save himself, that being Voldemort, though leaving the damaged and feeble Quirrell to collapse and die. Quirinus was a Roman god about whom there is not much information, although he is commonly associated with war. A clue that Quirrell is not quite as meek as he appears to be. Quirrell, which is so nearly squirrel, small, cute, harmless, also suggested quiver, a nod to the character's innate nervousness. And I thought that was just some really interesting background stuff about Quirrell himself and what kind of went into why he ended up with Voldemort sticking out of the back of his head. Again, that's all from Pottermore. If you want to go see these yourselves, Pottermore.com. It's all really interesting stuff there. But that brings us to the rest of, maybe the rest of the chapter, the final chapter, The Man with Two Faces. And this honestly brings us to the part of every book that I really enjoy the most, and it is Harry's conversations with Dumbledore. They are some of the most interesting conversations, some of the most interesting parts of the stories to me. And so remember, Harry and Quirrell just had their fight. Quirrell died. Voldemort took off, and Harry essentially blacks out. And so he wakes up, but there was something gold that was glinting just above him. He thought it was a snitch, so he tries to reach out and catch it, but his arms were just too heavy to lift up. And he finally blinked, got into some vision, and he saw that it wasn't a snitch at all. It was actually a pair of glasses. And he thought to himself, how strange. So he blinks again, and then the smiling face of Albus Dumbledore swam into view. And so Dumbledore is looking down at Harry and he says, good afternoon, Harry. And Harry, it hit him instantly. He remembered and he says, sir, the stone, it was Quirrell. He's got the stone, sir, quick. And Albus said, Albus, I don't know, Dumbledore, let me correct myself, proper respect there. Dumbledore says, calm yourself, dear boy. You are a little behind the times. Quirrell does not have the stone. And then Harry continues on, but then who does, sir? I and Dumbledore says, Harry, please relax or Madame Pomfrey will have me thrown out. And that's when Harry realizes he's actually sitting in the hospital wings and there's a pile of sweets all around him. And he just realized that he was laying in a hospital bed. 
And Dumbledore says, these are tokens from your friends and admirers. What's happened to you down in the dungeons between you and Professor Quirrell is a complete secret. So, naturally, the whole school knows, which is by far one of the truest and funniest lines ever. Dumbledore continues on saying, I believe your friends, Mr. Fred and George Weasley were responsible for trying to send you a lavatory seat. No doubt they thought it would amuse you. Madam Pomfrey, however, felt it might not be very hygienic and confiscated it. So Harry asks, how long have I been here? And Dumbledore says, three days. Mr. Ronald Weasley and Miss Granger will both be relieved to know that you have come round. And it's interesting to me that he calls Hermione Miss Granger, but calls Ron Mr. Ronald Weasley. But Harry, not to be deterred, says, but sir, the stone, and Dumbledore actually says, I see you're not to be distracted. Very well, the stone. Professor Quirrell did not manage to take it from you. I arrived in time to prevent that, although you were doing very well on your own, I must say. And so Harry asks, you got there? You got Hermione's owl? And Dumbledore replies, well, he, we must have crossed in midair. No sooner had I reached London than it became clear to me that the place I should have been was the place that I had just left. I arrived just in time to pull Quarrel off of you. And so I wonder what that means, like what Dumbledore meant there, that he realized that he should have been back at the castle. It, again, there's something I'm going to say here in a minute that will make more sense, but I'm pretty sure that Dumbledore knew what was going on. And so Harry says, it was you. And Dumbledore says, I fear that it might have been too late. And Harry says that you nearly were. I couldn't have kept him off the stone much longer. So you see Harry's interest still is in the stone and keeping the stone safe and not about himself. That's where Harry is so admirable to me. He is so sacrificial with himself. And Dumbledore says, no, not the stone boy, you. The effort involved nearly killed you. For one terrible moment there, I was afraid it had. As for the stone, it has been destroyed. Imagine that gut punch. You went through all of that work just to have the stone destroyed anyways. So Aries is destroyed, but your friend, Nicholas Philomel. And Dumbledore says, oh, you know about Nicholas. You did do the thing properly, didn't you? And so that right there also tells me, I'm pretty sure that Dumbledore knew almost exactly what was going on. He knew exactly what Harry and his friends were doing. He knew what was going to happen. And we're going to talk more about that later on in the series itself. But it's very interesting. I think Dumbledore had been very aware and maybe even control of, honestly, the situation. I don't think he was as late as he really thought he was. I think that he had really initial fear that Harry might have died. But I think he arrived precisely when he meant to, as all wizards do. And if you understand that, yes, I did do what I just did. Enjoy that Lord of the Rings pun. But yeah, I think Dumbledore is in complete control of the situation, or had been in complete control of the situation. And so Harry's worried about Nicholas and Paranel Flamel dying, and... Dumbledore says they have enough elixirs stored to set their affairs in order, and then yes, they will die. And it says that Dumbledore smiles at the look of amazement on Harry's face, to which Dumbledore says, To one as young as you, I'm sure it seems incredible, but to Nicholas and Paranel, it really is like going to bed after a very, very long day. After all, the well-organized mind 
death is but the next great adventure, um, which if you didn't know, I believe that is a nod really to Peter Pan. And you see him say that again, not in just his stories, but even in the movie Hook with Robin Williams, which is one of my absolute favorite movies because of Robin Williams. But he continues on and says, you know, the stone is really not such a wonderful thing. As much money in life as you could want, the two things most human beings would choose above all. The trouble is, humans do have a knack of choosing precisely those things which are worst for them. Which they absolutely do. It is one of the truest statements in this book and is one of the single lines that made me fall in love with Albus Dumbledore as a character. By far my favorite character in the entire series, not just because he is the baddest dude in the entire series, and I don't mean that as in the sense of like he's bad, but in like he could take on anyone and win. I don't care what anybody says. He would smoke Gandalf in a fight with his eyes closed, wandless, completely and utterly destroy him. I don't care what anybody says about it. You're wrong. I'm right. Get over it. Dumbledore is just better. And he has these profound insights that he shares with Harry like this, that humans have a knack of choosing precisely those things which are worst for them. And this is a this is a pretty heavy theme to understand as a kid. But if you were to wrap your mind around this as a kid and as a teenager and as a an adult, I think it would really change your outlook on life. It would change a lot of people's outlooks on life. And again, it's one of the things that I absolutely love about Dumbledore. Now, in the next few lines, there's something that I want to bring up, which, again, can probably be chalked up to the fact that this is the first book and what happens later on in the series, which honestly is the next book, might not be as just well thought out as it maybe could have been or to, to just not even well thought out, but maybe not as thought out as it wasn't really planned in the direction that it went. But you see Harry's laying here at a loss for words. Dumbledore's humming this little tune to himself, and he's smiling up at the ceiling. Harry says, Sir, I've been thinking. Sir, even if the stone's gone, Vol, I mean, you know who. To which Dumbledore says, Call him Voldemort, Harry. Always use the proper name for things, for fear of a name increases fear of the thing itself. And so that mixed with what I, I'm pretty sure I brought it up in the very beginning of this book, and I can't remember if I said that I would address it here or not, but you see him say to use the proper name. And in the beginning of the book, you see Dumbledore telling McGonagall to call him by Voldemort to, to use his proper name. But we do know that later on in the series, that's not even really the name that Dumbledore uses when he's addressing Voldemort. And I'm not going to get into that name just yet because that is a spoiler alert for later on. But we do know that that's not even technically the proper name. And so I wonder if this is just maybe not thinking things like not having things planned out thoroughly or if it's not have having thought that you would take it that far or in that direction or what. Uh, but you do see, I wouldn't even say a continuity error, but maybe something that developed over time. And I like where it goes because it makes Dumbledore all the more just amazing. And you see Harry kind of adapt that a little bit in the very final book without giving away any spoilers again. But 
you do see this here and it just makes me wonder just kind of the way that the, the the planning process for the books came out and if that was something that just happened in the moment or if it was planned or if this was just completely overlooked. So Harry continues his question and says that Voldemort, he's going to try and find other ways of coming back, isn't he? I mean, he hasn't gone, has he? And Dumbledore says, no, Harry, he is not. He is still out there somewhere, perhaps looking for another body to share, not being truly alive. He cannot be killed. He left Quirrell to die. He shows just as little mercy to his followers as his enemies. Nevertheless, Harry, while you may only have delayed his return to power, it will merely take someone else who is prepared to fight what seems a losing battle next time. And if he is delayed again and again, why, he may never return to power. Harry then says to Dumbledore that there are a few other things that he would like to know if he could ask about them. Uh, he wants to know the truth about, and Dumbledore says, the truth, it is a beautiful and terrible thing and should therefore be treated with great caution. However, I shall answer your questions unless I have a very good reason not to, in which case I beg you'll forgive me. I shall not, of course, lie. Harry says, well, Voldemort said that the on that he only killed my mother because she tried to stop him killing me, but why would he want to kill me in the first place? And Dumbledore sighed very deeply, and he said, Alas, the first thing that you ask me, I cannot tell you. Not today, not now. You will know one day, but for now, put it far from your mind, Harry. When you are older, I know you hate to hear this, but when you are ready, you will know. And so Harry knew that it was no good to argue with him. And so he continues on and says, but why couldn't Quirrell touch me? To which Dumbledore says, your mother died to save you. There is one thing Voldemort cannot understand. It is love. He didn't realize that love, as powerful as your mother's, for you leaves its own mark. Not a scar, no visible sign to have been so loved so deeply, even though the person who loved you is gone. It will give us a protection forever it is in your very skin quarrel full of hatred greed ambition sharing his soul with voldemort could not touch you for this reason it was agony to touch a person marked by something so good and so this is really where we start getting our first real taste of really deep magic in this book the power of love and i know that even to Harry and to the other students, it, it sounds silly. It sounds ridiculous. But it is something that Dumbledore lived his entire life on. And there's so much that I want to say about it. There's so many things that go into that, into why, into to what makes Dumbledore Dumbledore that we don't learn until the very last book. And I wish I could talk about them now, but I don't want to spoil that. But it is something that we even as good as Harry is we see him underestimate time and time again and you see these similarities between Harry and Voldemort and you see Harry make almost the same kind of errors as Voldemort in the underappreciating underestimating underrating condition of love but ultimately the choices that Harry make are far different than the ones that Voldemort makes in light of those 
realizations about love. And I apologize for the pausing as I was really trying to think of my words carefully as to not ruin anything that comes up later in the series. After Dumbledore had said that, he kind of looked away and became very interested in a bird, and it gave Harry time to dry his eyes. It's very emotional for him. He not just only dealt with Quirrell and the stone and this whole situation, but now he's getting a little bit about his family, his mom and his dad, and he's kind of reckoning with the fact that they really are dead, that they're gone, and now he's starting to get answers as to why. And that's a lot to drop on a kid who just essentially stopped Voldemort from coming back. Like, he stopped the evil wizard. He he was the good beating the bad in this situation. And that in its own would have been enough to just leave him emotional, vulnerable, and just on edge, probably. And now you add in this stuff. And I, I know that Dumbledore isn't saying these things to... Uh, hurt Harry, but probably to actually build him up and to reaffirm Harry, to to let him know that his parents did love him, that they died for him, that they died fighting him, and that his mom left him a protection that Voldemort underestimated. Then Harry asks about the invisibility cloak, saying, do you know who sent it to me? And Dumbledore says, ah, your father happened to leave it in my possession, and I thought you might like it. And so... Dumbledore's eyes twinkled when he says this, and he continues saying, Useful things. Your father used it mainly for sneaking off to the kitchens to steal food when he was here. And Harry says, and there's something else. Dumbledore says, fire away. And then before we get into that, on the left-hand side page here is a portrait of a very, I don't want to say downcast, but exhausted-looking Harry. And it's a portrait of him. It looks like he's still wearing school robes. His his tie is loosened up. His top collar button is undone. And this is just a black and white photo, not photo, but a picture. But what's amazing about it is you can still see the green in his eyes, but he's kind of looking down to his left a little bit. And he has his broken glasses. They're broken in the middle. And now part of the lenses are also cracked his hair is very disheveled, but he just looks defeated, exhausted, and just done it is the best way to really describe him. But it is probably one of the neatest looking portraits of Harry that you will ever see because you really see the young boy in this photo. But Harry continues on and says, Quirrell said Snape and Instantly, Dumbledore corrects him, Professor Snape. And Harry says, yes, him. Quirrell said he hates me because he hated my father. Is that true? Dumbledore says, well, they did rather detest each other, not unlike yourself and Mr. Malfoy. And then your father did something Snape could never forgive. What? He saved his life. What? Yes, said Dumbledore dreamily. Funny, the way people's minds work, isn't it? Professor Snape couldn't bear being in your father's debt. I do believe he worked so hard to protect you this year because he felt that he he would make him and your father's quit, which in other words, meaning he thinks that it would cancel out that debt. Then he could go back to hating your father's memory in peace. And Harry is trying to understand it, but he couldn't get his head to stop pounding. And he says, sir, there's one more thing, just the one. 
how did I get the stone out of the mirror? Dumbledore says, uh, now I'm glad that you asked me that. It was one of my more brilliant ideas, and between you and me, that's saying something. You see, only one who wanted to find the stone, find it, but not use it, would be able to get it. Otherwise, they'd just see themselves making gold or drinking the elixir of life. My brain surprises even me sometimes. Now, enough questions. I suggest you make your start on these sweets. Ah, Birdie Bot's Every Flavor Beans. I was unfortunate enough in my youth to come across a vomit-flavored one. Uh, fun fact for you, my favorite flavor of Birdie Bot's Every Flavor Beans is actually the vomit flavor. I don't know why it is um, my favorite one. So yeah. But he continues on saying, and since then, I'm afraid I've rather lost my liking for them. But I think I'll be safe with a nice toffee, don't you? And so he pops a little golden brown bean into his mouth, and he choked and said, Ugh, alas, earwax. And as I thought, we are actually going to stop the chapter there. There's still enough left in this chapter that we can do another episode, and there's still a lot to talk about inside of what is all coming up. But understand and note that that is the pretty much the end of the the conversation with Harry and Dumbledore so not really so much a cliffhanger as that conversation's ended but there is still some stuff to happen after that and yeah it really exciting chapter i honestly love the interactions between Harry and Dumbledore just because you get so much insight you get to see the genius that is JK Rowling because these are her words these are her thoughts that are coming out and I love seeing it it is so cool to me to see the the thought the depth the detail that she has put into her characters and I love seeing Dumbledore um, he's the father figure that honestly you want that that growing up that I would have wanted. He would somebody that I looked up to. I I've looked up to a fictional character my entire life essentially when it comes to Dumbledore. I absolutely love his character. I cannot say it enough. He is my favorite character in the entire series because of things like that, where a lot of people will say, well, he's really um, just. What's the word that I want to think? Um, uncaring? Not even uncaring, but just negligent, saying that he would just let teenagers do whatever he wanted them, or whatever they wanted to do and didn't care, just leave it up to the teenagers to handle everything. I think that Dumbledore honestly had enough trust in his staff and trust in Harry and trust in himself to always have every situation completely under control. I don't think for a second that he is ever worried that things will not go the way that he is planning on them to go except for maybe one instance and i can tell you even in that one instance i think that he was still completely in control and having things play out the way that they should have played out without giving away way too much again and i know it's really hard but that's really hard when you have a story that's as deep and complex as this one is. And so, yeah, there's a lot more to come on Dumbledore. There's a lot more to see about him and his interactions with Harry. They're my favorite parts because you really get to see that relationship build. You get to see the way that Dumbledore cares. And that's probably my favorite aspect is how much that he truly cares. Now, I do want to thank everyone again for listening. This 
podcast isn't possible without you. I mean, it is possible. I could sit here and record and talk into a microphone and put it on the internet all day, but I keep doing it because I do know that there are people listening, and I really, really hope that you are enjoying what I am talking about, what I am sharing. This story is so important to me. It's a huge part of my life, and I can't imagine what it would be like without it. And again, I would love to hear how it has affected you in your life. If you have a story about what Harry Potter means to you, the story that is, if it has impacted your life, if if it has changed anything in your life for the better, tell me about it. Commonroomtalk at gmail.com. It's the same name as the title, no spaces all together. Commonroomtalk at gmail.com. Tell me. I would love to hear your story, and I would love to share it. I would love to talk to people about it and and share how other people's lives have been changed because of it. There are still a lot of people out there that think that Harry Potter is evil or that it is demonic, and it's not. It's it's really not. And I, if you want to hear my rant about it, I did an episode where I started talking about that for a good portion of the beginning. I can't remember which one it is, but it is in there, so go and listen to it. But it has impacted me in such a, a wonderful, beautiful way. It has changed the way that I care uh, simply because of the way that I see Dumbledore care in in so many other ways. But I want to hear how it has affected you. So please email me. Tell me about it. Commonroomtalk at gmail.com. And again, thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you for taking the time to just sit here and go through this first book with me. We have one episode left and we're done with the book and I uh, maybe a few episodes after that. And then we're done with the first book and we'll move on eventually to the second one. I don't know if I might take a week or two or, or what, but we will start the second book. But thank you guys so much for listening. You are all so wonderful. Again, my name's Tony. I'm your host. And this is Common Room Talk.